0: Hey, Victory, I am so excited that you're at church this weekend. You are in for a treat. What a powerful time of worship that we've had, time of communion, and now it's time for the Word. The person you're going to hear from today is someone who's near and dear to my heart, someone who has impacted my life and many lives here in our church, He is our Bible college director. He has served here at Victory for more than 15 years, and he's poured into so many people. And today, you're gonna hear a message of miracles, a message of faith to stir your heart up to believe that God can do the impossible. Maybe you're believing to get healed physically. Maybe you're believing for God to do a miracle in your marriage, your finances. Today is a day of faith, a day where we are going to believe God for the supernatural. So would you stand to your feet and give a warm, honoring victory welcome to Pastor Ron McIntosh. a series called Difference Makers and I want to talk to you today on faith makes a difference expect a miracle and I had a little idea that three weeks ago when Pastor Paul and Pastor Paul if you're watching today I want you to know we are praying for you we're trusting that you're getting the rest and the refreshing that you need and you're coming back with revelation to take us to the next level. Little did I realize that I would be facing three possible terminal situations in my life this week, in my family, and very people that are very close to us. One of those was my wife. We checked her into the emergency room and into the hospital last Saturday. Uh, I just got off the phone with her before this service. We see miracles all weekend. I'm going to pick her up from the hospital when I leave here today. Faith! Makes a difference. They don't know what she had. They don't know why the manifestations took place. But I'm going to tell you this my answer is not in a hospital. My answer is in God. I want you to say this with me. Repeat after me. Say, I anticipate the inevitable, supernatural intervention of God. I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. One more time like you mean it. I expect a miracle. If you believe it, give him a shout in his place. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, Mark chapter 11. Faith makes, yes, amen, faith makes a difference, expect a miracle. I want to launch into this by telling a story. I don't know why I've been privileged to know who's who in the charismatic zoo. But it's been my privilege to work for, work with, be associated to, to be introduced to virtually all the biggest names of our movement. And all of them have inputted, imparted, impacted me with phraseologies and theologies that have launched me into what I did. And perhaps no one greater than my mentor, Oral Roberts, whom I consider to be the greatest man of God of our lifetime. Um, No one has impacted modern-day Christendom like he has with his theologies and phraseologies like seed faith, prosperity, healing. God is a good God. Come on, how many believe God is a good God? Yes, still many quarters of the body of Christ struggle with that concept, or this phrase, expect a miracle. Little did I realize that that phrase would one day salvage my own life. And so let me launch into this story. Back when I was writing my second book, Quest for Revival, I was out in Broken Arrow doing some research at my favorite bookstore at that time across the street from Rhema. I procured the items that I needed, and I was headed back to Tulsa down 81st Street. And it snowed that day in Tulsa. So let me give you some advice when it snows in Tulsa. Get off the streets! The people here don't know how to drive in it! Sam I'm in Oklahoma and I'm offended. You be offended. I'm from Ohio. I know how to drive in it. You do not. So I'm coming back down 81st Street. I stopped at a stop sign, and coming toward me is a Sherman tank, a 1970-something-or-other big old honkin' Chevy. Behind the wheel is a teenager who has his license for for two months. How many think this is a bad scenario so far? (laughs) And sure enough, he hits an ice pad, spins out, shoots straight across the street at me, and so instead of hitting his brake, he hits his accelerator, runs into the driver's side of the front of my car, Ricochets me off two vehicles and knocks me 50 feet off the snow-covered field just off of 81st Street. I was knocked unconscious. When I awakened, I wasn't cognizant of anything that had transpired. All I knew was there was blood and glass everywhere I looked and I could not move anything on the left side of my body. But I'll never forget this as a testimony to God's faithfulness. Reaching through the broken wreckage of that car, monitoring my vital signs, And praying in the spirit was a spirit-filled nurse as a testimony to God's faithful to me. When I awakened, she looked at me and she said, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God is right here with us. Within moments, EMSA arrived on the scene. They took a chainsaw, cut the side of the car out. It was demolished. They procured me from the, uh, excavated me out of the car, put a brace on my neck, and then ran me from EMSA to the then Functional City of Faith Hospital. They called ahead to my wife, Judy. Many of you know Judy here, and you know what a precious person she is. And she's the sweetest thing on planet Earth, but she can be tough as nails when she needs to be. When they wheeled me through that emergency room, I was, there's blood and glass everywhere. My face was ripped to shreds. A plastic surgeon who was there on the scene happened to put the pieces of my face back together. You can still see a little bit of the scarring right here on the left side of my face. But she took a look at all that mangled mess of humanity and she just took my hand she said, honey, it's all right, God is here. They took me into a room, they ran a set of x-rays on me and sometime later a doctor comes back into the room and she's holding the x-ray up and she says, Mr. McIntosh, I'm sorry to report to you, you have a broken neck. You can see the break right here on the x-ray. Very calmly I looked at her and I said, what does that mean to me? She said, back out of my peripheral vision, she mouthed the words to my wife, it's not good. They ran me upstairs to run a full battery of x-rays on me, and when they did, my friends from around the city came to pray for me. Oral Roberts showed up. Come on, how many of you are going to have somebody pray for you? you? might as well be all right. Richard Lindsey Roberts showed up. Our founding pastor, Billy Joe, showed up. Um... My brother who pastors the largest church on the north side of Tulsa showed up and I had a friend who was pastoring the the fastest growing church in America, they showed up. They gathered around that x-ray table and they reached out and Oral took my hand. He said, son, let's pray. Who was I to argue with Oral Roberts? I said, go ahead. And he prayed the prayer of faith. I didn't feel anything. I don't think he felt anything either, but when he prayed I saw a flash vision of the basketball floor at Oral Roberts University. How many think this is a strange way to get a touch from God? (laughs) But if you've ever been there, you'll know. And scripted down the side, it says, expect a miracle. I had a feeling everything was going to be all right. (laughs) That evening, everybody's gone. It's just Judy and me, and we're in the hospital room. And the doctor comes in, and she's holding two x-rays in her hand. She said, Mr. McIntosh, I'm totally confused. I cannot begin to explain this. You can see, here's x-ray. Number one, there's a break right there in your neck. Here's x-ray number two, there's no break whatsoever. I said, if you're having a hard time understanding, let me help you. I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. Faith makes a difference. I want to ask you three questions as we launch into this passage today. Question number one is success elusive or is there just something we don't know? If God has promised us abundant life, how many of you know it is time to experience it? Number two, why is it when we commit to change, we have a short burst of energy and we go right back to status quo? We find ourselves the same place year after year. It is time for your breakthrough and your breakout in your life, even beginning today. All weekend, we've had miracles taking place at the altars. Number three. Why is it what we say we believe so rarely manifests itself with any degree of consistency? And Jesus answers every single one of these questions in this passage in Mark chapter 11. And what I want to do is I want to give you five quick principles as we go down through this for your miracle to take place in your life and to those that are extended around you. So let's take a look at this passage. It begins with this little phrase. Jesus said... So have faith in God, or have the faith of God, depending on how you begin to take a look at that passage in the Greek. All right, so now, what does this mean? Principle number one is this. It is the definition of faith. say, well, wait a second. Why is the definition so important? Because if you don't understand what a thing truly is, you will misapply it, or you will misappropriate what God has for you in your life. So, now let me give you a definition. Let's go to that second definition Because in the interest of time. So the Greek word for faith is pistuo. Pistuo means to trust or trustworthy. Faith is the abandonment of our life to the trustworthiness of our God. That's what faith is. So let me make this practical. I want to get out of the ethereal and get into the into the practical. Faith trusts the character and the motive of God. Now listen to this. What is the character of God? The character of God is this, God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Galatians 6, 18, God cannot lie. If God said it, that settles it. Now, I want to speak to you, those of you that may be millennials or those of you who have been inundated by cultural philosophical frameworks like all kinds of things that are out there today. So a lot of people say that truth is relative. It's relative to every individual. I'm here to make a decree. There is such a thing as absolute truth, and putting trust in it opens the gateway to the kingdom of God. Then you have to trust the motive of God. What's the motive of God? God is love. God loves you. He doesn't just love you. He is love. He can't do anything other than pronounce his love on your behalf. Now you say, why is this so important? It's because of this. If you truly believe that God cannot lie, if you truly believe that God loves you, that his motive is for your best, this makes faith easy because you can just trust who he is. All right, now, let me make a statement to you. The end product of faith is not obedience, it's relationship. Now, this is very important because if you make obedience the end product, see, one's the product, one's the the byproduct. The, The product is relationship. The byproduct is obedience. And if you make obedience your end product, you'll always ask the question, what did I do wrong? But if relationship's your end product, when you face a difficult moment, you'll simply say, God, what do we need to do about this? One promotes faith, the other produces doubt. And many times we get into the former and not the latter, and it produces a doubt in us instead of the faith that God has for us. God wants to give you the desires of your hearts. right, now let me give you an example of this. I was doing a service some time back and it was a Sunday night service when we were having Sunday night services. And the crowd was about a thousand people and I don't remember what I was preaching on, but something to do with faith and the miraculous, that kind of thing. And when I gave the invitation, probably 80% of that crowd came to the altar. So there was 800 people who jammed the front of the church. They were jammed up the aisles. And I'm, I'm just a little overwhelmed. I wasn't expecting that kind of a response. And I'm, I'm a little you know, flabbergasted, and i not quite sure what to do. And all of a sudden, God says to me, Pray for them, dummy. I want good ideas, so I stepped off the platform. (laughs) As I was milling through the people, I came to a young man who was in the front. And I looked at him. I felt led to pray for him. And I said, what do you need from God? And he, I spoke it out into the microphone. He went away from the microphone to my ear and whispered, I have AIDS. I have AIDS. I thought to myself, oh, great. We had to start with AIDS. We couldn't start with a headache and work our way up. You know, we had to start right out with AIDS. But I was unmoved. Now, let me tell you this. I've told this story in other settings, but I've never told this part of the story. I covered up my microphone, and I looked at him, and I said, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And he looked at me eyeball to eyeball because he thought that what he had done had disqualified him from a healing. He was simply coming to the altar like casting lottery, hoping that his number would come up. But I'm here to tell you, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. So all of a sudden I looked at him, I I spoke into his situation, I laid my hands on him, he fell out in the spirit. So eight weeks later, here's the end of the story. Eight weeks later, I get a contact from this guy And he's got a doctor's report. Healed of AIDS. Healed of AIDS. Healed of AIDS. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Principle number two. He goes on in this passage and he says this. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If any man says to his mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not down his heart, it will be done for him. The second principle is speak to the mountain. Now get ready to give me an awesome amen, complete with clapping of hands, stomping of feet, slapping your neighbor, and various and sundry aerobic exercises. I'll point at you and let you know when. Here's the statement. It is time for you to stop telling God about your mountain and start telling your mountain about your God. Come on, somebody. This is the principle of confession. You must learn to confess the Word of God, not your circumstances. There's a difference between truth and fact. The fact is you may have cancer, but the truth is you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And that's what comes out of your mind. Now, if you're new to the charismatic Word of Faith movement, you may not have heard something like this before, and this is a principle you need to wrap your arms around. If you've been here for a long time, this is not a new principle to you. But what I found out is that we're very good at telling you what to do, but not very good at telling you how to do it. So I did a lot of research, and here's what I discovered. That confession works about 10% of the time. Confession and affirmations work about 10% of the time. So I I studied about a guy named Lou Tice at Pacific University. And here's what they have discovered. If you just confess a thing, it gets into your heart or your personal belief system about 10%. There's your 10% result. But if you confess it with imagination, you see yourself according to what you're saying, it gets into your heart 55%. If you confess it with imagination, with emotion, it gets into your personal belief system, into your heart 100%. So... You don't only confess it, you see yourself, and you allow yourself to feel the emotions as if it is already done. And you have to confess it according to three Ps, personal, present tense, and positive. Personal, I, present tense, am, whatever it is you're dealing with in the positive. So if you confess, I am not afraid of flying, your subconscious mind does not hear no or not, so you're saying exactly the opposite thing. But if you confess it accordingly, it just wraps itself around your heart. You go from your head, To your heart, come on, somebody. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you know what it's like to be diagnosed with a terminal disease. It's happened to me twice. The first time I went into a doctor's office, a friend of mine who was a believer, for a routine checkup, and he said, Ron, you need to come back. We need to run a series of tests on you. It's one of those fun tests, you know, like, they, like going to Disneyland, where they run the tube up your nose and down your throat and into your lung, and they took a biopsy. And so at the appropriate time, I came back for the report, and he said, Ron, I've got good news and bad news for you. He said, which do you want first? I said, well, start with the bad news and then with the good news. I said, what's the bad news? The bad news, he says, you possibly have a terminal disease. I said, what's the good news? The good news, he says, only terminal in your case about 40% of the time. How many of you know that was not the good news I was looking for? And all of a sudden, it shook me. And AJ, I mean, you and I, man, we've been praying for each other all week, haven't we? And we've gotten breakthroughs. But I'm going to tell you something. And so, so here I am, you know, with this report, and all of a sudden, I'm shaking to my own mortality. I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my kids. And all of a sudden, I came to myself. And I said, you know what? I don't have to receive the diagnosis of this world. There's another diagnosis I can tap into. And I began... I began to do exactly what I told you about. I began to confess. I began to confess it. I began to see it in my heart. I began to to feel the emotion of it. I confessed it, personal, present tense, and positive. I didn't get a touch that week, that month, that year, not the next year. I want you to hear this. There's a difference between a healing and a miracle. So the word for healing is a Greek term, therapeus, where we get our English term, therapy. And so it, it implies a process. You receive a, a, a touch that goes through a process. Your confession during that time keeps you aligned to the kingdom of God. So, after two years, I went back for a checkup. And he came back and he says, Ron, your checkup is this. It's burned out and non-progressive. I said, brother, is that anything like healing? He says, as a matter of fact, it is. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm here to decree, decree and declare to you. This is important. Now, number three, he says, do not doubt in your heart. He says, do not doubt in your heart. Now, this word doubt comes out of the Greek term diakrino. Diakrino means the judge between two. Now, listen to me carefully. You will always believe where there is the most Evidence. So if your evidence is in your circumstances, that's what you're going to believe. But if your evidence is in the promises of God on the unseen realm, that's what you're going to believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is a place in heaven that's unseen, that has your name on it, that by grace, God has put everything there that you need for life and godliness so that you can appropriate it by faith. All right, now, this is so essential. I want you to get this. So you need to go from your head to your heart. Now, we've gone through this with confession. There's some other things that I don't have time to go completely into, if you want to know more about this, you can pick my, uh, my book, The Greatest Secret. I got a new book coming out uh, this, this January, and called The Missing Ingredient, The One Thing That Changes Everything. But here's, but here's what I want you to, to grasp about this. So as, as we t- begin taking a look at this, you're going to believe where your evidence is. Now I want you to see this. Please get you have to stop the ants, the automatic negative thoughts and tap into that unseen realm. Now, you've gotta go from your head to your heart. All right, so let me give you an example. I was doing a missing ingredient conference in Naples three weeks ago. And they had released some advanced copies of the book and I was there and I did four sessions on this topic. The last night I gave an invitation for those that needed a touch from God and I ventured to say 100% of that congregation came to the altar. I looked down at that front area and there stood a woman by the name of Marianne. I met her afterwards. And I said, what do you need from God? And she said, I have ulceritis colitis. I said, what's that? And she began to describe the symptoms, the, the inflammation in the body and the intense pain that she often felt. She had 40 food allergies that wreaked havoc in her life. And she, But she looked at me, she says, you know what? But, I'm, but I, I, I believe that I received it. I believe that I am healed in Jesus' name. And I looked at her and said, you know what? I'm glad that you believe that, but it's time for it to manifest. And when I said that, it went from her head to her heart. I walked over to her, spoke to her, prayed for her, the power of God came on her. She fell out in the spirit. Here's the end of the story. Nine days later, she goes back to the doctor when she went back to the doctor, he ran a set of tests on her, and every testing indicator came out perfect, as though she had never had a disease, that she had never had a food allergy, completely, totally. (laughs) Principle number four, what have you asked for in prayer? Now, listen to me carefully. There is a new covenant element of prayer, and I want you to see this, because lots of believers don't fully grasp this. There's a word in the Bible called poly out of its original language, and it's, it's a word for prayer, but it also means to judge. So, but it doesn't mean to judge like I judge you, it means to assess. So in other words, what we do as a believer, we assess in our lives what's not like God. We align ourselves to what's like God, and then we access what God has for us in our lives. Now, I want you to see this because this is an element of praying in dominion and authority. Now, I want you to see this. There's a passage in Isaiah 45 that says, Concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. Now, it doesn't mean that we tell God what to do, but here's what it means. Projecting forward to the finished work of Jesus Christ, he says, Concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. Authorize and initiate what I've already done by my finished work. There's an authority by which we pray. Then fifthly, and I finish with this principle. Fifthly, believe that you receive. You got a Bible? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. You guys getting anything out of this? Ephesians chapter 1. Now, verse 2. Grace and peace being to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Grace, no, unmerited favor. Grace, the divine influence upon the heart. Grace, ability or empowerment in your life. He said grace and peace. Peace, the ability to be unaffected by your circumstances. What grace gives unmerited to you, peace keeps. Many times what happens to us is we get out of touch with what God has because we lose peace. Grace and peace you, unto you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the, in the spiritual realm with every heavenly thing in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see this because this is so important. With Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now, watch. There are four questions that are answered in this passage. First question is when. Notice this is written in the past tense. So, it's something that's already done. In fact, one Greek scholar says it's in the eternal past so in other words this has been done from the foundation of time he saw ahead and he already accomplished it number two when i mean where in the heavenly realm or the kingdom of god there is a name in the kingdom of god there's a room in the kingdom of god with your name on it that has everything you need and it's there right now by grace that we are to access by faith number three with what Every spiritual blessing. The term spiritual used in this passage is supernatural. Every supernatural thing you need. How many of you know we need to begin to move into the supernatural realm in the church of Jesus Christ? We're either going to be supernatural or we'll be superficial. I vote for supernatural. How about you? Number four, how? In Christ, by his finished work. Let me finish with this story. When I was pastoring my first church, I was in my pastoral office one day, and in comes a millionaire lawyer who was in town that went to our church. Melvin was a great lay teacher. I just, we had used him in our church many times. And he came in, he said, Ron, I'm trying to reach out to a judge here in town. He has cancer, he's dying, and I've been unsuccessful in leading him to Christ. Would you mind going over to his house and seeing if you can help in that process? I said, brother, I'll do it this afternoon. No problem. So in the afternoon, I left my little pastoral office, got in my little pastoral car, and went over to do my little pastoral duty with Judge Lee. Showed up to his large white house with pillars in the front, and there was a screen door there. I knocked on the door. Hospice worker came to the door and opened it and led me through the living room up the hallway into his bedroom. I heard about Judge Lee. He's a big man, six foot two, 200 pounds, but my pastoral duty went out the window when I saw this guy. His there was a stench in the room, his skin was gray, he looked like a skeleton. And I realized as I walked and I was introduced to him that there was no faith there to pray for salvation or healing or anything else. And I knew I had to build a relationship to this man. And so I said, Judge Lee, what do you like to do? He said, I like fishing. I hate fishing. But we talked fishing for one hour. Rods, lures, you know, bait, lakes. I mean, we, we talked fishing for an hour. But after that hour was done, we had a connection. I looked at him, I said, Judge Lee, have you ever made a decision for Jesus? He said, son, I grew up a Baptist. He said, I've never made the decision. He, and I said, uh, how would you like to do it right now? He said, you know, I think I would. He took those little bony hands of his and he reached him out to me, and I took his hand, and we prayed the prayer of faith, and he got gloriously born again in that room. i have been there for a couple of hours. CJ and I was was walking out. All of a sudden, God said to me, tell the man you can be healed. I said, but Lord, he doesn't believe in healing. Like, God's going to go, oh, here I forgot, and I stopped you on the way out of the room and everything. Come on, how many of you know? I mean... And I turned and I said, do you know you can be healed? He said, what? I've never heard of such a thing. I said, God can heal your cancer. I said, look, man, I've been here for a couple of hours already. I said, I just finished in our church a five-part series on faith. I said, "Um, I have my secretary bring it over to you. Why don't you listen to one of those tapes every single day? And when I get here next week, let's talk about it. So. A week later, I show up, same little scenario, a beautiful spring day, I walk up to his house, the screen door is there, and again, the hospice worker lets me in up the, through the living room, up the hallway into his room, and the same scenario, the, the stench, the grayness of the skin, and just the boniness, the frailty of the man. But there's a little glint in his eye. He looked at me and said, son, I didn't do what you told me to do. You told me to listen to one of those tapes every day until you got here. He said, let me tell you what I did. I listened to all five tapes the first day, all five tapes the second day, all five tapes the third day, the fourth day, the fifth. He said, I listened to all five before you got here today. He said, now let me tell you something. Next week when you come, he said, I'm going to be sitting up in bed. The next week, he said, I'll be sitting next to that bed. The third week, I'll be sitting in my living room waiting on you. He said, the fourth week, he said, I'll be in your church testifying to the healing power of Jesus Christ. inside his fate. The next week he was sitting up in bed. The next week he was sitting next to his bed. The next week he was in the living room. The fourth week I knocked on the door. Nobody was home. So that weekend I'm getting ready to preach. I'm standing in my pulpit getting ready to give my message. When all of a sudden the back door of the church opens and in walks Judge Lee. He didn't wait to be seated. He didn't wait for an usher. He walked straight up. I walked on the platform and took the microphone out of my hand. The man had something to say. And he got up and said, I just got back from MD Anderson. They can't find any cancer in my body. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. He believed he received he didn't doubt in his heart God wants to give you the desires of your heart thank you for listening to Victory if you're in the area we'd love to meet you at any of our services Saturday night at 5pm and Sundays at 8.30, 9 and 11am if you can't visit us you can watch live on the Victory app downloadable on the App Store and Google Play Remember, your best days are right in front of you.